Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I posted on our Facebook page and the Enneagram quiz to decipher what your Enneagram personality is. And it got such wonderful feedback. And so many people messaged us and said, can you do a show on this? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Enneagrams, what they are and how you can use them to help understand yourself and your motivations better. Enneagrams are basically nine personality types that were developed between the 1950s and 70s. Studying your Enneagram personality type enhances your self-awareness and enables you to understand people around you as well. I saw this great quote on Pinterest, Denise, when I was researching this, and it said, Enneagrams are how you see the world. The Myers-Briggs test represents how others see you. Oh, that's very interesting, yes. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this or heard of it, the Enneagram figure is pictured as a circle with a triangle inside and an inner hexagonal figure. The circle represents unity, the triangle symbolizes the law of three, and the hexagonal stands for the law of seven. So the Enneagram is a three-by-three arrangement of nine personality types in three centers. So some of the personality types we're going to discuss get along with each other and some not so much. There are three types in the instinctive center, there are three in the feeling center, and three in the thinking center. Each center contains three personality types that have common challenges and positive aspects. So we're going to be discussing what these nine personality types are. And if you want to kind of listen along with us and know who you are and what you are, you can go to our Facebook page and scroll through um, and find the Enneagram quiz that we posted there. It's a very quick quiz and it'll tell you what your Enneagram type is. Or you can just Google Enneagram quiz and take the quiz and see what type you are. And there are a bunch that are free. And there's one that when you Google it, it'll bring up 10 so you can compare because these are, there is an actual much longer test that you can pay for that's more detailed, more science-based. But if you just want a, a general overview of what personality type you fall into, these are, are fairly accurate. I did a few to get more of a benchmark to say, okay, is this fit? Does this fit? And they all came out pretty much in the same place. Yeah, so each personality type will identify your motivations, your challenges, your fears, temptations, your stress triggers, and the basic desires, plus your vices and virtues. So it kind of reminded me of numerology, Denise, because each number has its positive and negative aspects, which is, you know, makes sense. We live in a dualistic world, and we all have our positive and not-so-positive aspects. One one of the interesting things about this is that they say you have one basic personality type, which will usually, you'll probably be able to identify with all the types that we talk about, but certain aspects of each will will come up higher for you. But your basic personality type aligns with your inborn temperament and even some of the prenatal factors that may have been relevant in, in your life before you got here. But people don't change, so I wouldn't be a one and then midlife turn into a seven. I mean, you pretty much have a basic thing, but there is a continuum of levels for each type. So you and I could both be a certain number, but it would manifest and show differently depending on where we were on the leveling continuum. 
of that number. Uh, and I read that and I, I kind of disagreed with it. And I know I have no basis to disagree with it. No research, no anything to back me up. But I was looking at some of the questions that they ask. And I know I would have answered some of those differently in my 20s. And that was one of the articles that I read. It said, go back to your original, like, really, what was your, who did you come here to be kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. I had to look back when I was shy and very quiet and reserved and family of origin and that stuff. And then I took it again. I took another one of the free quizzes to see, okay, I'm going to do that from where I am now and answer the questions because some of them were markedly different, but I still came out in the same category. Okay. Well, that would explain why they say it doesn't change throughout life. That's really interesting. And what I, I you know, I have two sons that are very math science kind of guys. And my older son always said he loved math because numbers are true. And that's why they did this with a number system is so that it would be value neutral. And you can't, you can display the range without it coming across as positive or negative. No matter where you fall, there are positive and negative traits, as Samantha mentioned, but no type is better or worse than another. It's like, oh, shit, I'm a three. Or, oh, wow, I'm a nine. I mean, it doesn't matter because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work that way with this, this system, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I do too. There isn't a hierarchy or anything to strive for. It's just a representation of who you are. And, you know, I think you can use this information to help you not only gain in self-awareness, but also to help you understand maybe people you work for or with or people in your relationships. I have a client who's a psychologist, and she works with a really big company in America. And she doesn't use this, but she uses something similar. It starts with an H. I can't remember the name of it. But she'll give the employees of this company that test and then she'll tell HR or management, hey, this person is really team-oriented, focused. I think they, sh they would thrive better in this department. Or this individual works much better on his own. I think he needs to be over here. Or this person's test result is showing a lot of growth. I think we need to consider her for a promotion. And so I think it's fascinating to look at the different ways you could use tests like this. And what I liked about this one is as I was reading each type and the characteristics, pros and cons, whatever, I got a flash of people I know who fit these. So it's a different type of personality assessment that I think you're going to recognize yourself, but also recognize people in your life and help you understand them a little bit better. And as empaths, I think that's our big goal is learning, figuring our own stuff out, but also figuring out how to navigate someone who might be coming from a different perspective. Mm, well put. Well, let's dive into the nine personality types. Would you like to start us off? I would. The first type is called the reformer. And the reformer is someone who's very principled, purposeful, very self-controlled, can be a touch of a perfectionist. They'll attempt to control or repress anger. They feel that need to stay in control of themselves and sometimes other people. They'll direct these instinctual impulses to their highly developed inner critic. So sometimes these type of people can be kind of hard on themselves, the reformer. But again, idealistic, very ethical, a strong sense of right and wrong, teachers, crusaders, advocates for change. These are people who are striving to improve things but might be a little hesitant about making a mistake. 
have really high standards, but can be critical and again, perfectionist. They may have some problems with resentment or impatience, but at their best, these people are very wise and discerning, very realistic and morally heroic, for lack of a better word. They, they will take the high road. They'll do the right thing. They're, they're going to hold that high bar high for, them, high for themselves. But if we're looking at a work environment, this could be a great person to have on your team if you're in something that has precision or linear sequential or eye for detail. So I thought that was, kind of gave a, a, an overview of that personality type. And I think we all know someone like that. Yeah, it sounds like they're a bit type A personality. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you know someone like that, ones often react best with praise because they need to be told often they're doing a really good job. Which makes I think, sense. I think most people like to hear that, but, you know, what do I know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> type two is someone who is very generous, demonstrative. They tend to be people pleasers. They can be possessive in relationships. They are the helpers and the caretakers. Two personality types are often taken advantage of or unappreciated. In relationships and at work, they can be needy and codependent. To get their needs met, twos can be a little manipulative. They need to feel wanted and loved. So one of their ego fixations is flattery, but what they really want is freedom like freedom to not need so much. So that's something that they're striving for. Their general fear is being unloved or unwanted. Their basic desire is to feel love. Their temptation that they have to fight throughout their life is the temptation to deny their own needs or to manipulate others to do what they want. Their vice is pride and their virtue is their humility. And see, that definition covers a wider spectrum of the, like what some people may see as a positive or a negative aspect of that personality type. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think a lot of us as empaths would have a lot of those characteristics. Yeah, that need to help fix and caretake or rescue or okay. be of service. Okay, but this goes back to not, well, we won't overanalyze every single number, but wouldn't this make sense of, of young family of origin stuff when we've talked so much, a lot of us may be empathic because we needed to be on red alert or we needed to be more aware or more sen highly sensitive to fall into that role. So according to this, if this is a, this theory or, or personality or, or design, it was an inborn temperament that was exemplified through the environment. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. I do too. I do too. Uh, our next type is the achiever. And the achiever is someone who's very adaptable, excel, driven, can be a little image conscious. Their kryptonite would probably be shame. They cope with this by trying to become what they believe a valuable, successful person is like. They learn things to be able to perform well. They want to be acceptable and outstanding. So again, similar to that first type, these are the folks that are going to raise that bar. And they, they and I, I had a vision and we both, we know those folks that are, they so have their act together and present that in a work environment or how they dress or socially. That's the vision I have in my head of this driven relentlessly for success at times. And I think that that's part of this. 
these people can be exceptional, exceptional role models for others. They're very adaptable and success-oriented, very stereotypical of someone self-assured, attractive, charming, but ambitious, competent. They can be status conscious or highly driven for advancement. It kind of reminds me of like an actor. Yeah, that type of put themselves out there. They can be overly concerned with image and what others think of them. They can have problems at times with melancholy, self-intelligence, or self-pity. But I think for the whole, these people can be very self-accepting, very authentic, and again, incredible role models. Yeah, they, they definitely love to shine. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Right. Type 4 personality is very expressive, dramatic, can be self-absorbed, and temperamental. They are the individual. So they tend to make their own path. Four personality in the Enneagram type can be sensitive and withdrawn or self-absorbed and a little moody. They are romantic and creative. They often feel as though no one understands them. They will sometimes escape into a fantasy life through creative pursuits or reading. They prefer deep, intimate conversations to small talk, and they do not like to be told what to do. Fours need to be allowed to be themselves. Don't try to make them fit a mold. Do best when others respect their feelings. So they need to feel heard. So just as a three wants to be seen, a four wants to be heard. And they struggle with feeling not enough. That's kind of their their shadow mantra throughout their life. You know, reading these and researching them, Denise, makes me feel like this would be such a great tool for parents to give their like middle school or, or high school or college age kids this test because it would probably help parenting them easier. Like let's say you give one of your kids this test and they come out as a four. Well, then you're going to know they're not going to do well with rigid rigidity and rules and structure. They might need more freedom in, I'm not saying, you know, parent them without rules, but give them choice in those rules. Like do you want your curfew to be 10 or 10.30? Mm -hmm. And so this could be helpful for parents, I think. It could. It could also be very empowering in a time where it's hard to find your individuality because of social constructs or social media to have the skills to say, oh, okay, I fall in this category. So these are some really some strong things I can embrace and develop. Right. And this is incredible. I feel this way sometimes. Right. That can be very, very validating. The fifth type is the investigator. And these are people who are very perceptive. They're innovative. They can be a little secretive or isolated. They're very cerebral, alert, insightful, curious. They're able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills. They tend to be quite independent and innovative and inventive. This can come across sometimes as detached and high-strung or a little bit intense. They can become preoccupied with their thoughts at times. Some folks may have some problems with eccentricity, nihilism, or isolation. But these are folks who are visionary pioneers. They're often ahead of their time. They're able to see the world in a new way that can help bring about changes. But these are kind of the in-the-head people. 
on one of the tests, I scored high with this, which didn't surprise me because I do tend to get too much in my head sometimes. It wasn't my prominent one, but I had one test that I took that it, it came up significantly. And that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. I'm sure you're going to recognize aspects of yourself in each one of these personality types. Right, exactly. There, And when you take the test, it'll say like you are 98% this or 94% that. So you can, you can see that while you might be predominantly the achiever, you do have a little bit of the investigator in you. And that can be really helpful to see. There are enough free tests that you can do a couple of them. They take about 10 minutes at the most, five, 10 minutes. And then you can compare and say, okay, so I'm getting 98% on this test, but it's only 80 six percent here because these aren't if, if it's a free test the validity isn't going to be you know a standard deviation away from the norm it's it will have some some flex to it so type six is seen as engaging responsible anxious and suspicious they are often called the loyal ones they are committed loving and responsible but they can be insecure and anxious they can always tell when someone is lying to them and sixes crave consistency and they tend to avoid change. They need to avoid playing the coward. They need to conquer their fears. They are always prepared for the worst. Sixes need to feel safe and supported. They do best when they feel that they have all of the support and encouragement and security that they need. And so if you're a six, you probably need to think, well, where do I feel safe and secure? Is it in a solid bank account? Is it in a great relationship? Is it with a wonderful career? In what area do I most need to feel secure? And then instead of beating yourself up for needing that, recognize, okay, this is a need of mine. I'm fixated on security. And then seek about going through ways that you can you know, shore up some more security and support and guidance in your life. One of the struggles of the six is indecision and self-doubt, and they're often seeking reassurance from others. I think that can be hard when you're constantly, oh, you know, did I make the right decision? Do you think I should do this? Or like, I, I, I get annoyed by people like this personally, Denise. <laughs> you know, like if you say to someone, where do you want to go for lunch? Oh, anywhere you want to go. Okay, but you know, are you in the mood for Chinese, Thai, American, Mexican? It doesn't matter. That kind of drives me crazy. I am not a six. No, I'm not a six either. No. I did hear a cool thing about decision-making today, though, and the woman was saying, "Make a it will be good, it will be bad. You make the decision, and then if it's not working, you switch it out, and you make a different decision. And I thought, that's good advice. Very, very simple. But I think sixes would make wonderful friends. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're around someone who needs to feel a lot of support and guidance and comfort, that means they're going to be giving that in relationships as well. And so if you, if you recognize this in a friend or a coworker, just know it's really important for them to feel supported by you. And they might struggle with decisions and just encourage them in that and remind them that they have made great decisions in the past and, and will continue to do so. Right. And they may be a nice balance for someone who doesn't have those characteristics and strengths. Exactly. Type 7 is the enthusiast. And these folks tend to be very spontaneous, versatile, can be a little bit scattered, but they're uh, very busy, productive, extroverted kind of folks. 
they lean more towards optimism and spontaneity, playful and high-spirited. These are the people, they can become a little overextended or scattered and undisciplined because they're constantly seeking new and exciting experiences, which can then lead to becoming exhausted and even more distracted. They might have problems with impatience and impulsiveness. These are the folks that might be, uh, it may manifest as fear about their inner world, feelings of pain or loss or deprivation and anxiety. And to cope, they keep their minds really occupied with possibilities and options, something stimulating to anticipate and look forward to. They can focus their talents on something that feels like a worthwhile goal to them. That, that can really help. So I think being the enthusiast, these are the cheerleaders. These are the people who are very driven and up, and, but they do well when they have a focus so that they can keep a, a direction and not get a bit scattered. You know, I just started watching a new show called uh, Little, I think it's Little Fires Everywhere with Reese Witherspoon. And she reminds me of this seven Enneagram personality type because she's super into everyone else's business and she's always busy and she's very inquisitive. And she has this calendar for her and her husband and their four kids on the, on, in the kitchen that is color-coded. And I mean, it's so intricate. Every half hour is scheduled and outlined. And I think that's, I was watching that after I did research for this show and I was like, ooh, I bet she's a seven. <laughs> Sevens also often have a fear of missing out as well. I think mm -hmm. that's hard if you suffer from FOMO. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of uh, empathic introverts suffer from that, but, but a seven definitely will. Okay, an eight is self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Eights tend to act out their anger. They are frequently labeled the challenger. Aids can be very self-confident and successful, but also they have a tendency to be a little dominating and aggressive. If you betray their trust, they will cut you off. Done. They tend to bully the bullies and will defend others. So they will often come to the aid of, say, the underdog. They have kind of a fixation on vengeance or revenge because they're very focused on justice and truth. One of their basic fears is a fear of being harmed, controlled, or violated, and they are often seeking self-protection. So they want to be completely self-sufficient. So they might have a hard time asking for help or leaning on others or showing vulnerability. Those are some of their challenges. And sometimes an eight needs to know when to not share their opinion. It would be interesting to compare how someone else sees you. Like if you took this and someone that you care about deeply or a family member or a dear friend or a partner took it with their perception of you, if it would match up. You mean like have someone take the quiz online for you? or Thinking or just of you as the person. Like, okay. oh, how would she react to this? I wonder if it would match up. That is interesting. That might be too vulnerable for an eight. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the nine, the peacemaker. And this is someone who is very receptive and reassuring, complacent, can be a little resigned. But these are the easygoing, they're accepting and trusting folks, very stable, creative, optimistic, uh, supportive. They can be willing, maybe sometimes too willing, 
to go along with things to just keep the peace. They want things to go smoothly without conflict. They can be complacent, simplifying problems or things that are upsetting. They can also have problems with inertia or stubbornness. They're indomitable and very all-embracing. They're able to bring people together and heal conflicts. And when I read this, I thought, boy, wouldn't that be perfect for someone who was a leader or a supervisor or, or uh, you know, in a place where they would have command over a lot of people, to have that be their superpower to bring people together and heal conflict. Sometimes these folks may deny their anger and with the attitude of, what anger? I don't get angry. Nines are most out of touch with anger and instinctual energies and often feel threatened by them. They may get angry like everyone else, but try to stay out of the darker feelings by idealizing things. I think when we look at all of these nine types, we do see ourselves in these. We see people we love and care about or coworkers. And there are three centers. And the instinctive, and there's an emotional response to each of these. So these would be kind of triggers or areas that are difficult for you. And it said that if you fall into the instinctive center, which it would be a one, a nine, or an eight, the emotional response that you may have to really work with because it comes to get in contact with your core self would be issues of anger or rage. The feeling center are two, threes, and fours. And your issue to deal with that may keep you away from your contact of self would be shame. The thinking center are five, sixes, and sevens. And they're often most uh, intimidated or I'm going to reverse it, say learn the most from fear-based things. So I thought it was interesting that they had those clusters. And when you look at the characteristics of each of the personality types, you can see where there would be any, where anger or rage would be the issue or shame or fear. So there's so much depth to this whole process. And We've glossed over this, but you can jump way, way down the rabbit hole with this situation, with this whole personality thing. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because so much of the research talked about how each personality type deals with anger. And when I was reading about the nine, how they tend to deny their anger and seek peace, it reminded me of when we had Dr. Christiane Northrup on the show talking about her book, Dodging Energy Vampires. Mm-hmm. And remember in that book, she talks about the study they did of the Tibetan monks who meditate to get over anger. And in the process of pushing all that anger down, they had much higher rates of diabetes and, and cortisol-related stress issues. And I, it just makes me think, it's funny, because if you read about some of these, like the one and the eight uh, tend to express their anger very overtly and no, I'm sorry. The eight tends to express their anger overtly. The one will push it down. The nine will deny it. Uh, the two might twist it and manipulate it. It's all different. And it just makes me wonder, what are we supposed to do with anger? Right. You know, do you ever think that? Well, one of my concerns is I do think that anger manifests health issues. I mm-hmm. do. I, I've seen it for people. I've experienced it personally. I haven't always been so mellow and laid back. <laughs> I used to have a fierce temper, and I didn't always I know how to direct it. I doubt that. I think, no. Well, it was in there. 
But I think for a lot of us that, well, my point being heart disease. Mm-hmm. Can you have a genetic predisposition for that? Very much so. So you have a little, when we talked about epigenetics, you might have a marker for heart, whatever. But do I think if you're holding that unresolved anger and not expressing yourself, it's going to have more of an impact on your heart? Very much so. And just not only your heart, but your heart chakra. So you're talking about that whole general area. Right. I've, I've thought about this a lot because it's, we're always told, if you're spiritual, don't be angry or find peace. And, and then I look around at life and I'm like, well, there's a lot to be righteously angry about. And the only way I've learned to deal with it is through surrender. So, for example, road rage used to be my issue when I was younger. And when I just surrendered to the fact that I was behind a really, really slow driver, I calmed down. Or if something's happening in my life or on the news and I feel angry about it, instead of saying, oh, all is well, Samantha, I give myself permission to feel that right. Because a lot of anger, I think, is righteous anger. You know, if someone's mean to you, you're going to be angry. If you see some injustice on the news, you're going to feel angry. And I don't think it's healthy to deny that or push it down or turn it inside out or just, you know, like, like a four might do is you fantasize that it's all better. I think you have to give yourself time and space for that anger and then just surrender to it and then process it and transform it. So rather than denying it, pushing it away, avoiding it, transform it. That's really, really good advice. And also, for one person on this list, you may take a walk in the woods and feel better and dissipate that anger. Someone else needs to rail on a weight bag and just get it physically out. So finding what works for you so that it's a healthy outlet and you don't have to hold it inside. Because I think as empaths, when we hang on to that anger and resentment and that dark energy it does wear us down physically, mentally, and spiritually. So if you are, I've got some tips for working around and with your personality type. If you are a type one, you need to focus on setting deadlines for yourself and allowing yourself to say this project is done or this goal is complete, even if you don't feel it's perfect or ready to go out into the world. If you are a two, you need to focus on scheduling in time for yourself that's just for you. So a lot of self-care for the two. If you are a three, you need to invite balance into your schedule so that you don't burn out. Fours do best with small daily goals rather than big, large ones. Fives, they need to set a timer for how much they're going to think about something or investigate or ruminate before they take action or drop it and walk away from it. Because fives, like you said, can get really lost in their head. Six need to focus on accountability. So they need to not only be accountable for themselves, but they need to project that accountability onto others and not let people get away with, you know, maybe not treating you so great. Sevens need to block out time to make sure they're not being too ambitious or too overly scheduled. Eights really need to focus on delegating tasks because they're the bossy ones. And nines should set really, really small goals for themselves, really small goals, and give themselves a lot of credit when they accomplish those small small goals and focus on doing one thing at a time. 
So rather than looking at the big picture, nines do better when they break it down into small steps. Those are all really helpful tips. Yeah, I think it's nice to know what your type is and then restructure it for how you work. So I found another chart that um, was really, really helpful with identifying the basic desires of each type. So for example, the one is always seeking integrity and balance. The two is seeking this feeling of being loved by everyone. The three wants to feel valuable. The four needs to be unique and they need to feel a little different. The five is seeking mastery. There's that perfectionism with them. The six needs to have support and guidance. The seven seeks to be satisfied and content with what is right in front of them and within them. So rather than seeking that carrot dangling in front of them, they need to be happy with what they have. The eight needs to focus on self-protection and the nine is focusing and seeking peace of mind and wholeness within. Very interesting. Yeah, it really is. And so I wonder, does it mean, like, let's say you said, for example, that the 198 are in the instinctive center, meaning they tend to focus on their gut feelings and their instincts. Does that mean they get along? I think that this is where it gets a little dicey. It, wouldn't it depend on where you were on the level of each one? So you may function at one place as a, a type one that would be in conflict with one of the other ones. I think there would be some continuity across the three because basically you're all in that cluster, but I think it would depend on the individual. Great answer. Yeah, I think you're right. And it would be interesting to see if couples do better with same type or something to balance it out. So if you're in you know, the, uh, the feeling section, would you do better having someone in your life who maybe not, doesn't operate from that level, you know, the opposites attract kind of a thing. You know, I wonder about that opposites attract type thing. I really, really do. I I have a friend and her child or her grown child is very much kind of a negative, not a negative person, but you know, those people who are just very realistic. And if it looks like it's going to rain, they bring an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, an optimist might be like, oh, it'll be fine. So he, he's just very grounded, down to earth, practical, as you would say, linear, sequential, you know, just look at the facts. And he's dating someone who's just like him, can be a little negative, a little Debbie Downer. And again, I don't, I'm using the wrong labels because they're super wonderful, amazing young people, loving, kind, awesome. But, you know, they're just very, very practical. And my friend was saying, I worry about him being with someone who's such a match for him. And I said, don't. If, okay, if he's super practical and realistic and down to earth, if he were with someone who was an optimistic cheerleader, that is going to drain that relationship so fast because she's always going to be like, oh, isn't it great? Everything's coming up roses. And he's going to be constantly reminding her that there are thorns on those roses. And the two of them are going to be in this constant tug of war with how they see the world. And I think that can get old really, really fast. So sometimes I wonder if that opposites attract thing is actually false. I have to go back to my default position. I think it depends on the the individuals. And so if, if someone is operating from someplace that is 
say, a little more airy-fairy woo-woo, and they're with someone who's a little more grounded and practical, they could have a wonderful balance because the airy-fairy woo-woo might bring a little more... Uh, Brevity. Yeah, thank you. Great word. Versus that solid eyes-on-the-prize kind of an attitude. Yeah, I mean, I can really see it both ways. But I think it would be fun for anyone listening to this show to at least go online and take one or two of the quizzes. And Denise is right. You want to take more than one because you'll have not super different answers, but at least different percentages depending on the type of quiz that you take. But then go ahead and give this quiz to your spouse, your partner, your friend, your kids, uh, your parents, whoever is is with you in this quarantine time. And, And it can at least open up for some really interesting dinner time discussion. And it's always good as empaths, anything we can do to get clearer and more secure with who we are and how we operate on the planet, I think that that really empowers us to feel more comfortable with who we really are. Yes, and to accept us for who we are as we are and own our authentic self. Because only then can we truly shine our light. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this dive into the Enneagram type. Share with us what your Enneagram type is and let us know how you're doing. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, because it helps other people to find us. And if you enjoy this episode, tell a friend so we can continue to grow our family of enlightened empaths. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, remember to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.